Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks. We have been discussing mature uh, 4M discipleship, and that is make them, mark them, mature them, and then ultimately multiply them. And we, we get these four M's of discipleship, as it were, uh, from the Great Commission. As Jesus was ascending, he gave what we call the Great Commission to his disciples and there to us, and that is to make disciples. And so we talked about making them, what that looked like, how to do that. And then last week we talked about marking disciples, that is baptizing them to mark them, to set them aside as part of God's family. And today I want to continue this conversation by discussing our responsibility to be mature and to mature them from that same text. It says, teaching them all that I have commanded you is to mature those that are around us. And as we are obedient to those same commands, it matures us. Amen? And so that's what I want to talk about today. But there's a question that several couple questions actually I want to ask. Mature is maturity. Bringing someone to a place of maturity seems like a heavy, heavy thing. And so we ask ourselves, or I find myself asking, how are we to cause those who committed themselves to Christ and obedient water baptism to de fully develop according to the Word of God? How do we get this done? How are we possibly capable of maturing those around us? And the fact of the matter is, we are not. Not what you expected me to come out of the gate with, I'm sure. We're going to mature them, but you can't do it. I will tell you, it is the Holy Spirit and the giftings that the Holy Spirit has placed in you that causes the people around you and yourself to mature. We have no physical ability to do it of ourselves because it's a spiritual endeavor, and anything that is a spiritual endeavor requires the Spirit's help. Amen? And so I'm going to talk to you about that, but first I want to prove that we do it through the giftings that God has given us. And I'm going to read chapter 4 of Ephesians 7 through 11. This isn't where I'm teaching from, just so you know, but it's what, it's what I'm leading into. But to teach one of us, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He descended into the bosom of Abraham and brought those who confessed him as Lord with him. And he, he, he who descended is himself also who he who has ascended far above all the heavens, now at the right hand of the Father, so that he may fill all so that he might fill all things. Verse 11, this is important. And everybody say and. And means there has to be something else, right? It says, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers. 
Not all of us are pastors. Not all of us are teachers. Not all of us are prophets or apostles. Not all of us work within the five-fold ministry gifts. But all of us are gifted for the work of the ministry, for the work of maturing other believers. Listen to this. I told you Ann indicated that there had to be something else. That something else is this. For each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In, the, in 8b, he says, and he gave gifts to men. Everybody, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 11, has been given a gift for the purposes of ministry. It doesn't matter because we focus on verse 11. It's the reason why I'm spending time here. We want to spend too much time focusing on verse 11. And we say, well, if I'm not one of those five, I must not be called to ministry. You're all called to ministry because all of you have been given gifts so that the people around you might become mature and so that you might become mature too. I encourage you to go read on your, your devotion time this week, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. All of us, everybody say all of us have been gifted, and if all of us have been gifted, then it's all of our responsibility to use those giftings to mature the body of Christ. All of us have been gifted. And that's what I want to talk about today. His gifts are spiritual, and they are for the purpose of maturity. And I'm actually going to teach today from 12 through 16. I just needed to clarify for you that the fivefold ministry is just a facet of the gifts that we've been given. Verse 12. So there's a reason these gifts were given, and it starts like this. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building of, of itself in love. Amen. And so I want to talk to you about that today, what maturing them looks like and how to do it, specifically how to do it. Normally I give you bullet points and they'll pop up on the screen and you write them down as you take notes. I just need you to take notes. I've got like seven things I want to tell you, and I don't want to make them all bullet points, so just pay attention and write down every single word I tell you. No, I'm just playing. Just write down the idea. We mature them first, and I'm just going to, quite honestly, keep this as simple and purposeful as possible by just running through the text with you. It says, for the equipping of the saints. We mature them so that they might be equipped. What does equip mean? Equip means to prepare for a particular situation. We are equipped to walk in Christ Jesus by the power of the Spirit, and we should all be part of that equipping process. 
If you've been married here, chances are good that I had you or required you to go through premarital counseling. That premarital counseling is an equipping process to prepare you for the purpose of being married. If you've ever had a job, then you know pre-employment training is a equipping process to prepare you to do good work. And so when it says we've been equipped for the purposes of equipping the saints, we are essentially saying so that we might work for the purpose of God because we belong to him as saints of God. We have been called to do that. This is our biggest, largest calling in regard to not just spiritual maturity, but in regard to our salvation, to continue to be equipped, to walk in maturity, and to equip those around us. We accomplish the equipping of those around us primarily two ways. The declaration of the gospel, the declaration of the gospel, I was, but God, I am, the fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God sent his son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever calls on him shall be saved. And we acquire that by Romans 10, 9, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We should be able to say that. We should be able to know that. We should be able to carry that, not just in who we are, but out of our mouth to those that are around us. And the second, although be it partial second, partial to the first, is that we are to work in the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? I can't mature people if I can't first reconcile them to God. Jesus Christ came here to reconcile us to God. I don't know if you knew this, but because of our divine rebellion and the text that I just quoted to you that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that no one is righteous, no, not one, according to Romans 3.10, no one is righteous, no, not one, then we were at enmity with God. It means we were in conflict with God. God had every right to judge us and have aught against us. But Jesus Christ came to destroy that ought that is between us, to destroy that enmity that is between us and bring us back to a place of peace. That is to reconcile us. Amen? And if that is Christ's purpose, then we're our purpose is to do that for the people around us. I've said this before. I'll say it a bunch of times probably. If God intended to only save you and not use you to bring other people to him, he would have killed you the moment he saved you because you would be of no more eternal purpose to him and you could bring him no more glory than you could in that moment. But the fact of the matter is our lives are designed to glorify God and we do that through the ministry of reconciliation, through the declaration of of what Christ has done for us so that other people might come to know him too. We are equipping them for the purpose of salvation. We are equipping them for the purpose of maturing, depending on where they're at in their Christian walk. The ministry of reconciliation. Let me, let me work this out for you and tell you exactly what that means. 
In chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, starting in 17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. It means you're not who you were. The old things have passed away. All that you were are gone. Behold, new things have come. You are now responsible to new things. You can't do old things anymore because you're not the Lord of your life anymore. He says, now all these things come from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is what I've just told you. I'm just trying to prove to you in Scripture that what I told you isn't just my opinion. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He has forgotten our sin, washed us clean of them, and now they are no longer held against us. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What is the word of reconciliation? The word of reconciliation is the gospel. Therefore, because we've been given the gospel, because we have already been reconciled, we are ambassadors for Christ. We speak on behalf of God as though God were making an appeal through us. In fact, he is making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made be reconciled to God. This is what we've been called to do. You want to start maturing those people around you? You want to walk in maturity, recognize that you have a calling on your life, and that calling on your life is to bring as many people into the kingdom of God as you can. That's a mouthful. I was about to talk my breath. But I'm very serious. If we're going to call ourselves Christian, we are no longer Lord of our life. And if God saved us for his own glory and intends to use us so that other people might come to know him too, then we have to walk out that maturing process. We have to do what is necessary to ensure we have the ministry of reconciliation, those words in our mouth when they need to be spoken, and keep our eyes open for those that haven't heard it that need to hear it. But once they've heard it, then continue to walk that out with them so that they continue to be equipped for the purpose of their calling. Secondly, we mature them for the work of service. Work of service is service empowered by God. I am convinced, as I hope that you are, that we can't be who we're called to be if we don't put our hand to the plow God called us to put our hand to. That is all of us. All of us have been gifted. I think I tried, I've tried to prove that to you at the intro. I think that I did, that according to 2 Corinthians, all of us have been gifted. Some of us by grace gifts, some of us by ministerial gifts, some of us a combination of those two things, but all of us have been called so that we may help serve and create opportunity for others to serve. We have to put our hand to the plow is what I'm saying. If this is your church home, you should, you should have something to do here. God never called anyone to stay seated in their seat. We are called to serve and walk out our faith in service of other people so that they might do the same thing. This is what I've learned. I've learned that when we serve, the kingdom of God grows. You're going to hear that theme run throughout, the kingdom of God growing. 
because our maturing process is for the purpose of growing the kingdom of God. When I serve, when I encourage, recruit other people to serve, train them, develop them, and then release them to serve, then every person that I add into service, statistics show that I will add three to four people to the church. That, that I, sh- I was expecting a congregational, what? Because every person that serves statistically adds three to four people to the church. Why is that? You guys ever play football or something when you were a kid? When you got put on the team, what's the first thing you did? You went and called your grandmama, your uncle, your friends, and said, come watch me play. You take ownership of that team. When we serve, when we cause other people to serve, they take ownership of the team that they're on, which happens to be the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God grows. All of us are called to serve, but why don't we serve? Here's what I think. I think a large percentage of the church, the big C church, some, some of, including this one, because we have come under the false pretense that it's the clergy's responsibility to do the work of the ministry. Can I tell you it's not the clergy's responsibility to do the work of the ministry? It's the clergy only. Now, I'm required to do all of these things too, but it's not just my responsibility to visit people when they're sick. It's not just my responsibility to tell people about the gospel. It's not just my responsibility to be the light and the salt in the darkness where there's evil and corruption. It's our responsibility. We have to take ownership of the team that we're on. We're on Team Jesus. But we don't because it's inconvenient for us. God never asked us if we would do it if it was convenient. It seems particularly inconvenient because in our inconvenience, we're tested. Well, that's good. Amen? But we've been called to serve. Sadly, a lot of the church is like Jonah. You guys ever read Jonah? Jonah got swallowed by a big fish, right? That's pretty much all most people know about Jonah. Let me tell you what happened to Jonah. How many of you guys have read the whole book of Jonah by show of hands? Okay, good. So this is what happens. You guys can confirm or deny this. Jonah gets a call from God. He doesn't accept the call from God. God sends a storm. He gets thrown overboard, gets swallowed by a fish, gets choked up on a beach, goes to Nineveh where he should have gone in the first place, evangelizes everybody there, declares the gospel, or not the gospel because Jesus wasn't born yet, but declares God, and there's a revival in Nineveh. And then he got so excited that he decided to stay there. He moved all his family there and ended up spending the rest of his days in Nineveh declaring the kingdom of God. Isn't that how that worked out? No, that's not how that worked out. There was a revival. That's true up to that point. But then this is what happened. He got, he got to see the growth happen, but then got mad that the growth was happening or critiqued the way it was growing, who it was growing to and why it was growing, and then separated himself from what God was doing and determined to critique what God was doing instead of participate in what God is doing. And that's what happens when we don't get in service or when we step out of service because our season is up here now. 
then we sit down and we're all, I don't like the way they're doing that. They shouldn't be doing that. I wonder why they're doing that. Let me tell you, I'd rather do it the way I'm doing it than the way you're not doing it. What am I saying? I'm saying put your hands to something because in order for us to mature the people around us, if our hands aren't on something, we can ask them to put their hands on something. And if their hands aren't on something, the probability that they're ever going to increase the kingdom of God is diminished greatly. Everybody all right? In our service, we build up the body of Christ. Just following the text is all I'm doing. It says, to the building up of the body of Christ. That means we, we edify, we grow the body of Christ. I've already talked to you about that. So that we may attain to the unity of faith. 13 says, until we all attain to the unity of faith. We should equip them, call them to serve, build up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of faith. What is the unity of faith? That's not faith unto salvation, just so you know. That's faith grown by sound doctrine. Until we all get to a place where we understand the Word of God and stand on solid biblical doctrine. Because as we hear sound biblical doctrine, what happens? Our faith grows. Because that's what the Bible says. As I hear the word of God, faith grows. Faith comes by what? Hearing the word of God. And so I know that my doctrine grows when I grow in my unity of faith. Why is it important that I have sound doctrine? Because your doctrine will prove you or disprove you. It will qualify or disqualify you. I don't understand people who say, I listen to this preacher and this preacher and this preacher and this preacher and this preacher. Who do you listen to? I listen to like two preachers. You know why? Because I know where their water's flowing from. I know what they believe, what they truly believe, not what they say they believe. They have, in my eyes, tested the validity of the doctrine that they have, and the validity of that doctrine is proven in Scripture. We have to test our doctrine because our doctrine will determine whether we're pure or whether we're defiled at the end of our life. That's why, specifically, we planted a non-denominational church because I didn't want to be tied to uh, denominational tradition in regard to what I could teach about the Word of God. I would rather open up my Bible, open up the Greek and Hebrew study tools. I'd rather go to the translations. I'd rather read. I'd rather pray, ask for wisdom and revelation. And through all of those resources, find the truth of the Word of God. Because every time before I, before I study, I, ask, I pray the same prayer I pray before I preach. Give me wisdom and revelation so that I might know you better. And you don't think that's a prayer that God's willing to answer? Absolutely it is. 
but our doctrine proves us. And in our doctrine, we have unity of faith. So as you're telling people about Jesus, make sure you're telling them the things that they should know. Make sure you're telling them the truth. Make sure that you can ground that truth in the scripture. I went to the ministry of reconciliation. I explained it all to you. And then I went and read it out of the word of God because I needed you to see that wasn't just something I made up in my head. I needed you to see in black and white, your pastor reading from a physical paper Bible. Now, I know people are like, oh, I use my phone. That's fine. As you can tell by looking at mine, or maybe you can't tell, I write in mine. I put notes in mine. I can tell you where stuff is based on what side of the book page it's on. I like a paper Bible because I like sound doctrine. And so I stay in it. Anyway, I feel like I've over-talked that. We mature them by creating unity in the faith, which is only possible as we declare sound doctrine so that we come to a knowledge of the Son of God, so that we can come to a knowledge of Christ Jesus. How many of you guys know everything there is to know about Jesus? Right, me either, man. How many of y'all think you know 1% at of what there is to know about Christ Jesus. Yeah, me either. God is infinite. I am finite. When I gave my life to the Lord and we started tithing, tithing 10% of our money, I got it in my head for some reason that I was going to start tithing my time. I can't prove that in Scripture to you. It just, I was in my office. I thought, man, I, God's blessed my money because I gave 10% of that. Maybe you'll bless my time. So I, I gave it a shot. And for 16 years, I've studied two and a half hours a day, the Word of God. Two and a half hours a day for 16 years. Sometimes that means I got to get up early. Sometimes that means I had to stay up late. A lot of times it means now that I pastor in this church, I actually get to do that at the church, but two and a half hours a day. And I will tell you, I still have no real comprehension of the magnificence and full weight and beauty of the God that we serve. But you know what? It's our job to mature ourselves and mature those around us so that we know a little bit more today than we knew yesterday and a little bit more tomorrow than we know right now. This is a big deal, guys. We're called to be mature and to mature others. And we do that as we come to through all these other ways so that we could come to a full knowledge of who Christ is. Or at least we should strive to attain that because I don't believe we could actually ever fully attain that. I don't know that we'll ever attain that in heaven because we're still not God in heaven. But you know what? I think that's the reason why we'll worship for all of eternity because as through all of eternity, as God reveals a different facet of himself, we'll fall down on our face and worship him for that thing we just saw. 10,000 years from now, fall down on our face and worship him for that thing we just saw. 100,000 years from now, same thing. A million years from now, the same thing. Because God is infinite, which means he has no ending, which means that what we know of him can be never-ending. But we should try to mature ourselves to the degree possible and those around us so that they can because the more you know about Jesus, the more you'll look like Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. Verse 14 and 15. But speaking the truth in love, I'm sorry, 
As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful schemings. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. We mature them so that they become stable and unshakable. That's a lot of words to say that. So that we're not tossed here and there by waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine. You guys ever met somebody like that? They're unstable in all their ways. Let me tell you what the Bible says about God, that he'll shake all that can be shaken, that he's an all-consuming fire. Whatever isn't true, he will burn up. I want to make sure that I am rooted and grounded in my knowledge of Christ Jesus, that I am properly equipped, that I have, I have accomplished or are attempting to accomplish everything God's called me to so that when the storm comes, when the bad doctrine is heard, I can stay solid, immovable, and unshakable and say, that's not the truth. I know the truth. And according to the Word of God, this is the truth. And it's our responsibility to, to do whatever is necessary to ensure those around us have that same ability. Isn't it crazy? God's never done anything in us or expects anything in us that he's not also expecting to do through us. And so as I mature, I should be maturing other people. You're all, man, I just got saved. I don't know nothing. Let me tell you what you do know. You know that Jesus Christ is Lord. You believe that God raised him from the, from the dead. Man, you start there. You know somebody that doesn't know that yet. There's people in this room that know more about Jesus than I do. It's their responsibility to tell me about what they know. To lift me up, to encourage me, to ensure that I'm properly equipped, that I'm edified, that we grow together in the unity of faith based on sound doctrine. All of these things cause me to be unshakable. The maturing process is necessary. Amen? And then finally... We mature them to grow. Verse 16, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working in each individual part. So as the body is knit together, as it does everything it's supposed to do, which should come natural as the body begins to mature in itself, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We mature for growth. Personal growth, yes. But congregational growth, the body of Christ, should grow. And when we're faithful to make, to mark, and to mature, that's exactly what happens. Acts 2.47 says, Praising God, having favor with all the people. This is just after talking about all the work that the church, the early church was doing, which is what I'm preaching on next weekend. Acts 2.47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. As I mature, I recognize that the kingdom of God through me must grow because of the work Christ did in me. I should desire Christ do the same in someone else. That's the challenge, right? To make them, to mark them, and then to mature them. So that ultimately, 
through the progression of time, we might multiply them, which I'm going to talk about next week.